Welcome to This Week in Surgery Centers. If you're in the ASC industry, then you're in the right place. Every week, we'll start the episode off by sharing an interesting conversation we had with our featured guest. And then we'll close the episode by recapping the latest news impacting surgery centers. We're excited to share with you what we have. So let's get started and see what the industry's been up to. Hi, everyone. Here's what you can expect on today's episode. We are talking with Ken Bulow, who is the Executive Vice President of Operations at Surgical Notes. Now, there are a lot of different parts to the revenue cycle process, but today we are focusing on getting your claims paid after the bill goes out and some workflow tips for making this simpler and more effective and eliminating work. We'll close the episode with a few news stories. We'll start with CMS's 2023 final payment rule for ASCs, talk about a new innovation around tattoos and medical alert bracelets, look at the average consumer's medical debt and how that impacts ASCs, and of course, end the new segment with a positive story about a nurse who helped care for a man after he collapsed during a Broadway show. Hope everyone enjoys the episode, and here's what's going on this week in surgery centers. All right. How's it going, guys? Welcome back to another fantastic episode here at This Week in Surgery Centers. I'm your host, Rafael Akinsby, and we have a fantastic episode. I'm super pumped about this one. This week, we have Ken Bulow. He is the Executive Vice President of Operations at Surgical Nodes fantastic leader and we're really excited to have him on because we're going to be talking about something that I know a lot of our listeners have asked about and want to hear and you know today we're going to be covering getting your claim paid faster um, after the bill goes out and this is just one that I know impacts a ton of different surgery centers and this is an area that we really want to dive into before I run through all the questions I have for you today Ken I want to first just kind of jump in and give you a chance to talk a little bit about yourself For anyone who doesn't know you, um, go ahead and kind of tell the people about you and kind of what you do at at Surgical Notes. Great. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. I'm thrilled to be here today. I'm happy to to share a little bit of my knowledge with your audience. Um, I have been working in healthcare provider revenue cycle for about 25 years now. It's kind of all I've ever done. Um, And then specifically working here with surgery centers since 2008. Um, so I, uh, I've been in uh, lead- leadership roles for revenue cycle firms or um, surgery center management companies, um, working specifically with surgery centers since 2008. Awesome. Awesome. Um, today, today it's at Surgical Notes. So, it, you know, I lead uh, one of my primary duties is leading our revenue cycle team for our uh, customers who've uh, given us the privilege of, of handling their billing for them. That's fantastic. Yeah. I and mean, hearing how long you've been in the space is one of the reasons why we really wanted to have you um, on the podcast. I think that that time that you spent there and that wealth of knowledge kind of gives uh, so many great points there in terms of ways that you'll be able to give some guidance. So we're excited to dive in and, you know, we'll, we'll jump right in. So, you know, when it comes to revenue cycle management and the revenue cycle process, there are tons of different steps in that process for any surgery center. Um, but, you know, we really want to kind of focus today on kind of that, that last piece there, almost the last piece in terms of following up with patients on those unpaid claims. And for people who aren't necessarily as familiar here, can you kind of give us a sense of, you know, what percentage of patients typically leave with an outstanding balance? Like how common is that? So I would say um, in the perfect world, um, 
you're doing a full and complete insurance verification prior to the day of surgery. Yep. You are figuring out what the patient's benefits are. You're figuring out what procedure is going to be performed, comparing that with your contract. So, um, you know, you take a, a, a knee arthroscopy, you compare that with your Cigna contract and you figure out, okay, this is exactly how much I'm going to uh, have as an allowed amount for my Cigna contract, apply the patient benefits. And um, ideally, you know, um, a week or so prior to surgery, exactly what that patient's going to owe. And um, so in the perfect world, we call the patient ahead of time. We, we tell them, hey, you're, you're coming in on Tuesday. This is how much you owe. We'll take a credit card over the phone today. And in the perfect world, they pay you or you, you use one of the modern tools out there to send them a, a text message to say, hey, here's how much you owe. Just click this link and pay us. Yep. Um, so in the perfect world, that's how it happens. Um, in reality, um, uh, I, I'm hesitant to give percentages because it really varies yeah. based on based on how that center is run, based on the technologies that they choose to take advantage of. Um, but for those patients who don't pay up front, then you have another opportunity when they're standing right in front of you to say, hey, you owe me, you owe me prior to service. And um, uh, so again, taking advantage of that second opportunity to collect from them, they should have already known because you should have already uh, contacted them ahead of time. Um, so industry-wide, you know, if I had to say at that point, by the time the patient has come in, yeah. um, I somewhere north of 60% of what we see have collected something. Okay. It's not always the entire balance because some patients uh, can't uh, can't put it all down at once, but but somewhere north of 60% have taken something. I've had a conversation, everybody's had a conversation with the patient, but 60% have had a conversation with that patient to collect some, either all or some portion of that fee up front. Okay, that, that's helpful to, to, to know there. And, and I want to dive in a little bit deeper on that. And, I, and we won't hold you to an exact percentage um, on this. You know, Maybe we'll get someone on the production team. They'll, they'll go look up a stat or something. But that is helpful for us to get, get some sense of. And in kind of thinking about that based on what you've said there, so that 60% is there's a certain amount that's been collected, but not necessarily all of the all of the the amount that a patient owes, and especially Correct. thereafter once they've they've left the the surgery center. Correct, right? So you have some patients who have paid everything, some patients who've paid nothing, and some who have paid uh, abortion. Okay. And there are genuinely some cases where you're just not sure of exactly what that charge is going to be, and so that estimate could result later on with either you owing them a little bit back or the patient owing you a little bit more after the claim is adjudicated through the insurance company. That makes sense. That makes sense. Well, diving in there a bit, I want to kind of follow on to that same note. So what do you think are probably the three biggest things ASCs get wrong after a patient walks out the door and they still owe them some uh, owe them some money for, for that, that case? Um, I think um, uh, the thing that folks get wrong or may not understand is every day that goes by, um, where you're unable to collect those dollars, your chance of collecting that dollar goes down. Yeah. So um, if you wait 30 days, if you wait 60 days, if you wait 90 days, every 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 day that goes by, you have a less uh, you know statistically you have a less lower and lower chance of collecting that. So what we like to do is make sure that we're um, communicating with patients all along the way. Sometimes we are legitimately waiting for a claim to process before we know exactly what the patient owes. The great news is. For most third-party payers, the patient's getting an explanation of benefits and ELB from their third party at the same time, yep. so they know it's coming. So they're helping, right? So Blue Cross, Cigna, United, whoever's helping keep in touch with that patient to say, hey, we're, we're paying your claim. 
to your provider and you do owe something and you should expect to hear from them. But yeah. it's really important to just have all that done, t- done timely. I don't think that was three, but uh, <laughs> that's the, that's the, that, no. that's kind of what I would say is most important. No, that, that makes sense. Sometimes we, you don't have to have a, a full checklist uh, of different things. Sometimes it, it kind of, you hit the nail on the head there. And I think that that's something that's true and resonates um, really well for a lot of, a lot of ASCs. And, um, you know, you think about it and it, it goes beyond just the, the ASC industry. I think in general, you know, from, once you get service or a product of any kind, the further out you are from that time of service, just the less incentivized you are to make that payment at all, or, or at least in some kind of timely matter. So it makes a lot of logical sense there. Especially if you've had a good experience, right? You just, you've walked out of that place of service, whatever it is, but in our example, it's a surgery center. Yeah. You've walked out of that surgery center, they've fixed whatever problem, or they've, you know, uh, have you on the path to recovery, yep. um, you're feeling really good about them. The more time that goes by, um, the less inclined you are to remember that nurse or that doctor or that front desk person who, who you had a positive experience with and, and, and want to write a check. Yeah, yeah that, that makes a ton of sense. If I, you know, if I was someone, let's just say, getting uh, getting a car wash, after the car after my car is washed, a couple weeks later, I, I, I'm probably not thinking about how great a job they did on my car anymore. So if I hadn't already paid for it, they're probably not going to get a payment until I get that car washed again. So that that makes sense. Well, um, let's say I am a surgery center that's you know, I'm trying to trying to collect that that payment. You know that process I imagine is probably not easy. It's probably pretty tedious and time consuming trying to go through the process of of collecting that payment. What are some of the you know the workflow tips um, for making that process simpler and maybe eliminating some of the work so they can actually collect that payment? I think that um, uh, so again, we'll, I know we'll talk about insurance in a little bit, but from a patient standpoint, um, ensuring that as soon as you know there is some patient liability, you've um, uh, allocated that to a patient responsibility bucket using whatever technology you use, and then get those statements out. So we um, we tend to work with vendors who automate the statement process for us. So there's a statement file that goes out every day, and every patient that's ready for a statement will get that statement. Yep. Um, and so as much as you can kind of automate it, put it on a plan that says every X number of days. And um, uh, you know, typically we're looking at a little bit less than a month. We're dropping a statement to a patient every month and making sure that there's messaging that's escalating to say, hey, look, you, you owe us this money. Let's pay us. And, and by the time you get to the third one, if they haven't uh, paid you voluntarily, they're probably not going to. So at that point, it's probably worth picking up the phone and saying, hello, you know, you should have seen three statements from us. Have you received those? Is there a reason you haven't paid us? Was it a service issue? Was it a process issue? Or do you not have the money? Let's let's talk about some ways we can we can help you get there. Um, and then fundamentally, I mean, there will be times when you have to take advantage of um, third party uh, agencies out there that uh, uh, basically will uh, represent themselves as a collection agency and take over from that point. Um, the idea is to prevent that. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense, and I think you know, for many surgery centers, you you want to be able to get out ahead of it well before you have to go with a third party um, collections agency to to be able to make that make that happen. And I think the point you mentioned there, I want to I want to dive in on those first two points a little bit in terms of kind of communicating that to the patient um, well in advance, and then also taking advantage of that additional step of kind of calling and letting them know that hey, you might have received a few different statements. You know, how effective do you think that's been for a lot of surgery centers? And do you think that drives a lot of uh, success for them in terms of collecting those payments? 
Um, absolutely. I mean, I don't know about you, but you know, I get mail and sometimes it piles up on my desk yeah. and then I'll get a day and I'll sit down and, and, I'll, and I'll get to work on all of it. Yep. And um, sometimes you just need that little nudge from somebody to say, Hey, remember this is, you know, this is due. You got to take care of this. And, uh, and so it prompts them to do it. Uh, that makes sense. And, and is that something that, you know, in terms of kind of building some workflows around, do you think that's something where surgery centers can kind of templatize that process for their team? So it's maybe more efficient for them. Yeah. So, you know, you can use those statements as triggers. So if you set up a workflow that says, let's just say, for example, every 25 days, I want to send out a statement. Um, uh, you can then create a workflow that says after statement one, I'm probably not going to do anything. I'm going to hope they pay after that second statement. Here's what I want to do. I want to, I want to put it on a call list. I want to have somebody call them after the third statement. I want to do the same thing um, just so that it becomes kind of a, a, a process. And uh, it's just, you know, by the time you get to that third statement, you can say, I know this has happened because my process is I send a statement. I send a second one. I make a phone call. I send a third one. I make a second, another phone call. And if it is a process, and it's all documented, you can you can be sure that that's done and that you've done your part to try to collect those dollars. Yep, that makes sense. I, I'm a huge fan of anything I can put into a workflow or a process. It makes my life simpler and it's easier to manage. And I imagine for a lot of our listeners, it's, it's probably the same. So yes. jumping forward a bit there, you know, one of the things I heard you say before that I think is a, a stroke of, of genius is, um, you know, things go wrong and in patterns. And I think that that makes a ton of sense, you know, in terms of, you know, running a surgery center, if you were running a surgery center today, you know, how would you identify the patterns, um, learn and learn from them so that you can avoid kind of some of these gaps and problems around collections, uh, in the future? I think, um, I may have been referring to more to insurance follow-up at that point, Mm um where we see things go wrong in patterns yeah. so um the way the way that um i think about insurance carriers here today in 2022 is they want to pay us um and this yeah. is a little bit controversial in the provider community i think you know for the folks who have been in the provider space as long as i have we've always had this view of they're the enemy the payer is the enemy they don't want to pay us they want to hold on to those dollars and earn interest on them and um uh, I, I fundamentally believe today that is not the case. Yeah. I believe that they set up their claim shops and they want to pay us um, because they have to pay an agent on the other side as well if they don't pay us. Yep. And um, in order to do that, they set up rules. Yeah. And, um, and they publish those rules on their websites and there's a provider manual that tells you how things work. And, um, and so typically what we find today is that when your claims aren't getting paid by a third party, it's because you didn't follow some rule. Yep. We can debate for hours about whether those rules make any sense, whether we agree with those rules. But the fact is there are some fundamental boundaries, guardrails that they've set up, and it's our job to follow them. So yeah, we do see when things go wrong, it tends to be in patterns. It could be that there's a new modifier requirement for a certain payer. It could be that a code that used to be payable is no longer longer payable. It could be there's a contract rate change that we weren't aware of that we should have been aware of. Um, but whatever it is, it's um, it's the job of the surgery center or whoever's working the revenue cycle for that surgery center to try and understand what is it that went wrong here? Yeah. How do I fix this thing, this individual claim that's in front of me? And then what other claims or what other process do I need to put in place to make sure this thing never happens again? Yeah. And, um, you know, the more you do that, 
um, over time, the cleaner you see uh, your revenue cycle get until something changes on the payer side. Yeah, that that makes sense, and and I think you you called out a couple really great points there. One in terms of that perception of the relationship with payers, and um, I think that's just a, a common misconception. So I think that that makes a ton of sense there in terms of rethinking or maybe realigning our thinking around how we see the the relationship with payers. Um, and then two, I think the part one of the parts I want to dive into a bit more there um, is kind of talking about those steps of actually going through what. I would say it's almost kind of a root cause uh, analysis on why we're seeing some of those, uh, why you have some of those errors or things don't get don't get paid. And you know, in terms of kind of diving in there a bit more, what are some of the ways that maybe surgery centers can do some of that root cause analysis more consistently consistently when they have moments where things aren't getting paid and they're not sure what code uh, might have changed? What what are some of the things you think that can be more effective for them there? Um, I think that it's a little bit of a culture shift of how we approach collections. Um, And so, again, historically, collections is I'm calling and saying, pay my bill, pay my bill, third party, pay my bill. And it's really fundamentally, you know, getting curious. And so it's training folks or hiring differently around people who we like to use the phrase are intellectually curious, right? People who like puzzles, people who want to say, okay, I have this thing in front of me and I didn't get the expected outcome. Where, and you use the use cause analysis, where, where did we go wrong and owning it, right? And saying it's on me, where did we go wrong that we didn't get the outcome desired? And so it's, Um, where you find that could be in many places. It could be in coding. It could be in registration. It could be that, um, you know, something went haywire with the claim submission, but you really have to have that, um, intellectual curiosity to kind of dig and uncover and try to figure out where did we go wrong here? That that makes sense. And and I think you you kind of nailed a, a couple good points there in terms of that intellectual curiosity and then being honest with yourself on kind of, you know, where did we go wrong to be able to get that, get to that point? Because I think it's easy to, to want to point a finger elsewhere, but it's it, sometimes it's a lot harder to say, okay, maybe, maybe we didn't do, do everything up to par. So that, that makes a ton of sense. We're now moving into the life lessons phase of the, of the ASC podcast. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's the next phase. That, that's the thing we got to get, we got to get you back on the pod just so we can do a whole thing that's, um, you know, just the life lessons from Ken Bulow, things to, things to live by. <laughs> Well, I, I think we're, we're hitting a lot of really good points here. And, you know, we've covered a ton of really great nuggets for our, our listeners. And as we kind of think about some of the next steps uh, going forward here, one of the things that I want to just jump back on before we end, you know, you had some really great points there in terms of that relationship with payers. Um, you know, are there any things that you would say are just maybe some key tips for building that relationship with payers so that surgery centers can just be, be more effective and, and successful there? Yeah, I think there's a couple things um, in terms of building relationships, helping them understand what your goals as a uh, business are yeah. and how your goals can align with, uh, you know, the payers. And, you know, so a surgery center, it's pretty easy. Historically, we've always just said, hey, we're the lower cost of care. Yeah. Um, bring, you know, let's move cases out of the hospital. And I think that is still today a fantastic argument, um, but it requires a bit more nuance to, you know, to organize those, that thinking around, here's our business plan. Here's how, if we get X, Y, or Z in terms of a rate we're looking for, we'll be able to recruit a couple more docs. And if we recruit a couple more docs, here's what it means yeah. to you. So that's kind of on the upfront kind of relationship piece. And then internally, I think it's really important to know those contracts, know what's in those, 
so that, again, it's all part of how do I prevent problems before they become problems? Yep. Knowing what the requirements are within each contract. How do you have to build things? Do you, you know, bilateral is a good example. When something is done on the left side and the right side, there are a couple different ways to build those and understanding for each pair what their requirements are. Because again, if you do that, you can prevent problems up front. Um, and every problem prevented up front is just less work that you need to do yep. later on. Yep. That makes sense. Uh, that makes a ton of sense. Well, before I let you get out of here today, Ken, you know, one of the things that we do every single week with every single one of our guests is we ask them one of the questions that, that we can kind of send all of our, our listeners off with. So what is one thing our listeners can do this week to improve their surgery centers? And it can be related to anything. It doesn't just have to be on the payment side. That's a that's a really good question, um, and obviously, that's uh, as, as a fan of the pod, I, I know that that's how we we end these segments. Um, so, I think I would say it's 2022. Let's embrace technology. Mm. Um, there are a lot of surgery centers out there who um, uh, I see scheduling on spreadsheets. I see <laughs> not taking advantage of. You know, I, we use our phones for everything today. And there are so many opportunities to introduce technology, again, thinking about revenue cycle, yep. um, that can help us be more efficient. So whether it's adopting a way to text a patient, either clinical information or financial information, um, adopting a method for them to communicate with you electronically, including pay or paying their bills electronically, um, I would look for those. I would try to take advantage of those. Um, it really exists everywhere else in our life. And I think um, from my experience in visiting surgery centers, that seems to be a place where there's a, there's a nice opportunity for us to take advantage of what's out there. That's awesome. Uh, that's some great advice there. Uh, you know, I think just to the point that you mentioned in 2022, you know, we have a standard for technology everywhere else in our lives. So why don't, why don't we expect that in our, in our workplace and in our surgery centers? So that's fantastic. Uh, that's right. um, Ken, this has been a fantastic episode. I've really appreciated having you on. I feel like there's so many great clips we'll be able to take from this and be able to share this out with all of our listeners. So thank you for, for coming on the pod and uh, we look forward to, to having you back and we might have to take you up on that offer of, uh, of an entire episode of just life lessons with Ken. Life lessons. <laughs> life lessons. Yes, I appreciate it. Uh, thank you for inviting me. It's been uh, great to participate in it and uh, I'm happy to I'm, <laughs> I'm happy to come back and share life lessons from Ken, although there's probably a lot of people who, who wouldn't want to listen to that. <laughs> thank you. I, I, I appreciate the time and, and, uh, and uh, uh, we'll talk soon. Awesome. Talk to you soon. As always, it has been a busy week in healthcare, so let's jump right in. Our first story this week comes from ASCA and CMS. As you likely heard by now, on November 1st, CMS released its 2023 final payment rule for ASCs and HOPDs. Now, the document they released is 1,764 pages, so we are working on a bigger, more detailed story on the final rule for next week, but I wanted to quickly share that CMS has only added four new procedures to the ASC covered procedures list for 2023. And ASCA had actually proposed 47 procedures. So to see only four make it through is pretty disappointing. Um, the final rule has a few other takeaways for ASCs though, some that are really positive. So we'll put a few links in the episode notes so you can learn more. And again, we'll take a deeper dive on next week's episode. Our second story comes from Outpatient Surgery and they are looking into tattoos replacing medical alert bracelets. 
Researchers at the Georgia Institute of Technology have developed low-cost, painless tattoos that could potentially be used in healthcare. The tattoos themselves are skin patches that contain microscopic needles, and researchers suggest that they could be used to cover up scars or guide cancer radiation treatments, um, but they could also serve as an alternative to medical alert bracelets that are often used for diabetes, epilepsy, or allergies. So one example of how it could work is the provider could actually design a tattoo for a patient and it can include letters, numbers, images, or symbols, then the mold is filled with permanent or temporary ink and then applied to the patient. Um, And the difference is that there's no blood, no pain, and it can be applied within minutes. So it could also include black black light ink, excuse me, so it won't be visible all the time if the patient prefers. Um, And I love that this could be an option for patients and can give them some control over their body back. And for patients who aren't comfortable with traditional medical tattoos, whether for religious reasons or personal preference, this offers them an alternative that might not feel so intense. So really cool stuff coming out of the Georgia Institute of Technology. Our third story today, in an article published by Healthcare Dive, over 45% of Americans say healthcare bills have put them into debt. In addition to this alarming statistic, they also highlight how many Americans are financially unprepared to deal with a health emergency. Um, 60% said they do not maintain a dedicated savings fund for health emergencies, and 56% said they are struggling to pay for any health maintenance costs. So these numbers are jarring for many reasons. Obviously, numbers like this will prevent or delay care for many who desperately need it, but it also highlights how important it is for ASCs to begin financial discussions with patients as soon as possible, and we really have to do it in a way that is fully transparent, really compassionate, and easy for patients to understand. And as difficult as it can be, we have to meet patients where they are at. So Offering customizable payment plans will be key, and also providing them with educational resources in their native languages as well so that they can understand where the cost comes from and just make them feel more comfortable going through the process and also committing to such, um, uh, making such a financial commitment. Um, And ultimately, it will also help ASCs get paid as well. So looking at kind of inflation and where everybody or culturally where we are at with with healthcare, medical bills, um, super important that we kind of lean in and realize this is where we're at and we just need to make um, price transparency a priority. And to end our news segment on a positive note, Nicole Horachowski, who is a registered nurse from Florida, she was at a Broadway musical for Funny Girl featuring Leah Michelle when she noticed a man stand up and collapse during the performance. Uh, After giving it a few seconds, she went over and introduced herself as a nurse and was able to care for the man until they were able to safely get him into an ambulance. Uh, Maintaining the man's safety and dignity was of utmost importance to Nicole, and she was quoted afterwards saying, that's what happens when you take your nurse pledge and you get pinned, and you are always a nurse. 
on the clock, off the clock, Christmas day, or any other random day of the year, you are always a nurse. And I'm sure many of you can relate to that sentiment and also have very similar stories you could share as well. So amazing job, Nicole. And that news story officially wraps up this week's podcast. Thank you, as always, for spending a few minutes of your week with us. Make sure to subscribe or leave a review on whichever platform you're listening from. I hope you have a great day, and we'll see you again next week.